morning, everyone. That's what we do. That's who we are, is we're here to impact generations for Jesus. How do you belong in a generation? Hey, that's what we're all about. <laughs> so we're, we're so gl gl glad, gl gl glad, glad that you're here this morning. We love Jesus and we love you. And just as what Jamie said last night, we relaunched kind of our Saturday night to more make it feel more like a living room style type of service. And so in the back, we kind of did it there. I know anybody saw the chandelier? Any, anybody come from a Pentecostal background? One. We got him. I, I, I should even see a hand. I should just hear you. Anybody come from a Pentecostal background? There's a chandelier in the back, y'all. You can just jump on that swing as much as you want. And guess what? It won't fall. That's the good news about it. So, man, we are excited about the relaunch and what the Lord is leading us to do in that. And, man, we had 78 people that came. And including all those that were helping, we had 85. So again, thank you to our team and all those that were involved in helping relaunch uh, Saturday Night Service. It was phenomenal. And back there is packed. So we had a, we had a party. Uh, and so this morning, we are continuing on our series on getting rooted. Everybody say roots. This is what we're doing. This is who we are. And before we jump into this, also want to welcome those that are joining on Facebook Live. hey -o. We want to say hey to you. Those that are on live stream too, we want to welcome you. You belong here. If you couldn't be here with us in the flesh, well, you can be with us online somehow. So we're so glad that you came to be part of it. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to, again to Colossians chapter 2. We are, as I said, we're going to go a little bit deeper into a few things, but I want to again lay a strong foundation because the thing that the Lord told us is, is we got to get rooted in the basics. You know, just as you see Colossians chapter 2, you know, Colossians 1.28 in the message translation, it says to be mature is to be basic. Can we just say that together? To be mature is to be basic. So the word mature, what does the word mature mean? It means to be, anybody have an idea? Ba <laughs> All right, we got some smarty pants in the, okay, that's good. But the word mature simply means to reach advanced stages, to be right, reach advanced stages. Anybody interested in going advanced stages? Places that you've never gone before, places solid in Jesus. And it also means to be fully developed. Anybody want to become a fully developed believer? Now, this should be the desire every single one of our hearts is we want to be mature, fully developed believers, right? And so how do we do that? The way that Paul showed us in Colossians 1.28 says to be mature or to be fully developed means to be basic. Now, it's not just basic in the sense, oh, I'm just basic. No, to go in depth in your understanding, to go deeper in what you know. Rather than trying to look for the next greatest revelation that people are talking about. I've been in those conferences before where they just talk about the next thing that God's doing. Well, what about the thing that you haven't, he's told you and you're not, not quite rooted in it yet. We got to get grounded and rooted in what he's telling us and what he's already revealed to us. So anybody heard some amazing truths in their Christian walk before? Yeah. Right? So the thing about this to be mature is now to go deeper into those understandings, deeper in those truths. So it's not just head knowledge, but we're actually able to carry it out in our everyday life. This is what it is to be a Christian, not just to say, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-D-I-A-N, and I got C-H-R-C-M-I-H-E-A-R-T, and I will, I still have not figured out what that last part was. So whatever that is, I think it's live eternally. Live eternally. Well, however you spell that quick. Live eternally. So it's not just saying that. What does it mean to be a Christian? And I know for us, especially now we're raising kids in this culture that we're in, people just throw, oh, I'm a Christian. But if I watch the way that you live, it goes totally contrary to what I see in the Word. 
So what Jesus is looking for, not just people say, oh, I'm, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian. That's great, that's a good place. But it should affect the way that you live your everyday life. And that's what Paul's encouraging us as believers is get basic, get mature in these basics understandings so that you can live it out. Because we all know God's got great things for us, but how do we see this coming out in our lives? We all know that God's called us to do great things. How do we get about that? It's not just one day throwing out prayers. Oh God, please let this happen. No, it's I want to work with him. I want to walk with him, right? You know, just before we get into that, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to just follow the Lord in this because as I told you, I am not getting messages well in advance. I'm following the Lord as he leads me. So I'm trusting the Holy Spirit in all of this. And I'm glad that you are all joining in that. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, it says this, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Did you know it's not just up to God? Oh, God's called some people to be good, some people just to not be good. Right? And he said, some people are called to be gold and silver pots. Some are just called to be earthen pots. That is not what this is saying. This is saying here, whoever now cleanses himself, meaning whoever goes and separates himself into this word, will now be used by God to do great things. So who is the decision lie with? If I want to be used by God in magnificent ways, where does it rely? Is it, is it on God's part or is it on my part working with him? It's my part. You can see that right here. So whoever now cleanses himself will be ready for the master to use you in every good work. Now, that's what I want. So again, what Paul is saying, it's not just about saying I'm a Christian. He's saying, no, what have you heard? And now what can you apply to your life? This is what the whole Christian life is about. Because again, what is a hypocrite? Someone who says one thing and does the other. What do we need to do? We need to line those things up. So what I say and what I do are lined up and they're the exact same, right? That's why Jesus was so powerful. What he said, what he did, they lined up consistently and people were drawn to that because again, that's character. Character is more important than anointing. If we don't got character, your anointing will never work. You need to have the character aspect of it. You need to be saying it and doing it all lining up in the same place. How did we get off on that? Well, it's going to be good. Well, anyways, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Again, now this is what Paul says. I'm going to read it to you just from the voice Bible because it's, it's, it's a nice translation too. It says, now that you have welcomed the anointed one, Jesus the Lord, into your lives... He says, continue to journey with him and allow him to shape your lives. So now what is your and my Christian life looking like? We are what? We are continuing in a journey with him. And in this journey, what are we allowing him to do? Shape our lives. Can anybody see that? So along my relationship, my walk with the Lord, what do I want him to do? Is I want him to now continually shape my life. Shape the way I think. Shape everything about me so that it looks just like him. Are, are we on the same page? Okay, I know I'm just, I'm making sure. Verse 7 says, let your roots. Everybody say roots. roots. No, he didn't say go find the next greatest thing. He said, let your roots grow down deeply. Everybody say deeply. deeply. So we're not interested in shallow Christianity. Anybody had a shallow friend before? Oh yeah, anybody had shallow relationships? Those were fun, aren't they? The Lord is looking for depth. He's looking for deep. So he said, let your roots go deeply into him and let him build you up in a firm foundation. Be strong in the faith just as you were taught and always spill over with thankfulness. 
So again, as you heard the vision of the church, but the Lord also gave us a mission. The first part of our mission is that the lost get saved. So what does that mean? People that do not know Jesus, we want to introduce this Jesus to people that have never heard of him, never seen him before, and how good and how wonderful this man really is. Right? They may have ideas out there and religion will put a, kind of put a bad spin on who God is, but Jesus is kind and it says the kindness of God leads people to repentance. So you and I amplifying and showcasing kindness really is going to draw people to God. Anybody ever say that to you? Like, how come you're, why are you so friendly? Why are you kind? What, what, what is it about you? It's the love of God in you that's drawing people. So now that once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, woo! But is that the end? No, now what? Now what do we do? The next part of it is the saved get established. Another word for established is roots. Come on, say it with me, roots. You got to say it like you mean it, roots. Maybe you got to flex a little bit when you do it, roots. I know sometimes when I'm at the gym, you just got to shout out roots every once in a while. It just helps. When you're doing a bench press, roots. And just get it up there. It just helps amplify it a little bit. But now that you're born again, now that you are saved, what's the next step? Is you got to get rooted. You got to get established. How do we get established? Is by spending quality time in God's word. If we're not spending quality time in the word of God, forget about being rooted. Enjoy the shallow life. <laughs> That's just, love y'all. I'm just saying, all right? I don't know how to sugarcoat that. There it is, okay? So what is it? How do we get quality time in God's word? Because his word is his thoughts. His word is his presence. His word is him, right? John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh. You have on your lap, you have a man. His name is Jesus. He's right here. This isn't just a regular book. It is a living, alive book that you and I can actually eat. It brings strength to us. It refreshes us. It renews our mind. It changes everything from the inside out. This is what this book does on your lap or on your phone. It does that. It has that ability. Why? Because it's alive. Say it's alive. That's what it does. It's, that's what he wants to do. So the lost get saved, the saved get established. And once you spend time in the word of God, what do we got to do? We got to get going. They say, get going. We don't want to just get spiritually fat. You got to exercise the stuff. And what does that mean? You got to work it out. What you've learned, what you receive from God. It's not just you go, oh, look how smart I am. Look at this revelation. And bam, I'm going to put it on Facebook so I can get 104 likes. Or I'm going to Insta it and see how many people want to follow me after that revelation. It's not about that. Once you receive revelation knowledge, now what does God expect from you? Is to now walk it out. If you say, walk it out. Just do it. That's all that it is. So can you see this is the Christian life? Is it complex? No, it's simple. To be mature is to be basic. Okay, again, I'm just laying a quick foundation. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is what has happened to you and I. It says, if any, any person, anyone is united with the anointed one, that person is a new creation. The old life is gone. Look at this. All things have become new. Oh, isn't this amazing? So again, this is like talking about those, the lost get saved. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, instantly the old is gone. The brand and fresh new has come. You didn't have to work for it. You simply believed in Jesus and God gave it to you. The fresh and new has come. So as again, as we said, this whole Christian life is about seeing what has happened on the inside, not just leaving it there. Right? The new person, what Jesus did in you. It's not about just keeping it down on the inside. It's now to see it expressed on the outside. 
so people can see it, so your life can be different, so people can see the Christ in you. Now, how does that happen? How do I get what's on the inside of me out? What is it going to take? It's going to require new ways of thinking, new ways of believing that have to line up with God and his word. Now that you are a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you no longer have a right to your own opinion. That's what it means to be Lord. If he's Lord, that means you have absolutely, you've given up your opinions, you've given up your right to have an opinion, because now what's my opinion is his opinion. What he thinks about the matter is what I think about the matter. So this should affect everywhere. On the political realm, how do I vote? How do I think? How do I act on this? I'm going to go based on what he says. Not just of what the culture thinks about it, because listen, culture is screwed. They got a warped idea. They got some messed up thinking on that. So what do I as a believer got to do? I got to go with what he thinks. Because what he thinks is right. Right? Right. Okay. There it is. Anywho. Now Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 15, or 14. It says, for he has. Everybody say, he has. It's not he's going to do. For he has. What does that mean? It's done. It's already a finished work. He has. What has he done? Come on, say it like you've been rescued, y'all. He has done what? He has rescued me. This is the best news. Anybody actually been rescued from something before? Maybe it was a horrible conversation that you had where, you know, like there's somebody that you're trying to avoid and all of a sudden they catch you and now you're looking to get rescued. My wife does this to get... When I see her do this, it's not that she's just praising the Lord or winding her armpits. She's looking to be rescued. Well, here's the good news. So her strong, strapping husband just comes along and says, Hey, baby girl, let's go find some cereal in a different aisle. And so she'll come with me and I just rescue her. <laughs> what has happened? So she says, Thank you for... Anytime. Well, listen, our God... He has rescued us. He already's done it. What has he rescued us from? Thank God, not just an awkward Walmart conversation. He's rescued us from what? The kingdom of darkness. What is the kingdom of darkness? Not just hell, that's part of it. But the kingdom, it actually means the domain, the authority of that kingdom. He has absolutely rescued us from that kingdom. And then what's the second part of this verse? Not only are you rescued, now you're not kind of a nomad in no man's land, just kind of, oh, what am I, what am I? No, he has transferred you where? Into a kingdom, another domain, another place. You've been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, let's again look here for a sec. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Now, we all were there. We were all trapped in that kingdom. And that kingdom operates by the five physical senses. That kingdom operates by fear, anxiety, worry. That's how this kingdom flows. It's a very, you know, it's full of hate, full of anxiety, full of selfishness. That's what this kingdom is. But he said, you've been rescued from that kingdom. So I'm out of that kingdom now, and I've been placed into God's dear son. This kingdom operates completely different from that kingdom. This kingdom is completely dependent on the grace of God. This is a place of grace. And how does this work? My trust and my confidence is in his grace and what he says now. So in this kingdom, this is how I'm operating. So where does it become frustrating as believers? It becomes frustrating when I have been transferred. Ooh, here I am. But I still got a mindset that thinks like that. I can't see results in my life because I'm still thinking over here. 
I'm still thinking based on my five physical senses. I'm still thinking based on anxiety and worry. And, oh God, could you just take this worry away from me? He ain't going to do that because he rescued you from all of that. And he placed you here. What else can he do? Can you see this? This is where you are. And this place is peace. In this place is joy. In this place is health. In this place is wealth. In this place is the kindness and mercy of God. It's all here. And guess what? You're here. You're not over here. So when you say, oh God, just take this away from me. Take this worry away from me. He went, I already did. I rescued you from that and I put you in this kingdom. So again, can you see what's it going to take? New mindsets and new ways of believing so that I can experience what I already have out here. So what is that? It's called the renewing, the transformation of our mind, right? Okay. Now, for those of you that kind of think, oh, man, I don't, I've messed up. I don't, I don't feel worthy to be in this part. Well, verse 14 really clarifies that for us. He says, he purchased our freedom and he forgave your sin. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you don't do. It is based on his kindness and his goodness because he loves you. He cares for you. What is God's motivation to everything he does is he loves you. Why did he save you? Come on, why did he save you? Because he loves me. Why does he heal your body? Why does he bless you? Why does he give you peace? Because he loves you. That's the motivation. So now you are in this kingdom and his motivation is complete and total love. Right? So you can see now where is the frustration is that I'm in this kingdom, but I'm still thinking kingdom of darkness. And I have that mindset still dominating me. I'm still dominated by my five physical senses. I don't see it. Well, I can't believe it. That's not how this kingdom operates. This kingdom operates based on what has God said. You believe it. You can't talk to God about it. Don't go, I don't know if it's going to work that way. It's not for you to say. He now says it and you simply just go, yes, sir. Right? I'm in the world. Right? Okay. <laughs> now the kingdom of God in this kingdom, the relationship with him, how does it work? This entire relationship is based on grace and this is how this works now. The conversation, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, how do I do it? It is grace and, say it with me. Anybody say worry. What I want. No, it's grace, faith. Now, if you were to go on a date with grace, who talks first? Who speaks first? Grace. Grace always initiates the conversation. If grace is not initiating the conversation, guess what? You can't have faith. It's impossible to have faith because you can only have faith in what grace says. If grace doesn't say it, you can't even believe it. There's nothing to believe. But as soon as grace opens his mouth, guess what? I can believe that. And that's faith. I can just simply respond to it. You know, it, it's very, it's very simple. I mean, I'm, I've been on purpose putting my grace faith goggles on continually as I'm reading through the word and the Lord just had me read. I'm going through, I mean, I'm going through the new Testament on my own and I encourage you just spend time reading it. But in John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, this is what Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do. Now I want you not just to hear Jesus saying this, see grace speaking. Grace says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. What does faith do? I believe that. Grace says 
that he, the Holy Spirit, will show you things to come. What does grace or what does faith do? I believe that. Grace said he's going to take everything that the Father has and he's going to reveal it to you. What does faith say? C can you see that? It's not hard. It's not difficult. Well, I don't know if I fully believe that. Then spend enough time in that word. Meditate on it. He's going to show me things to come. He's revealing truth to me. He's guiding me into all things. Say it until you see it. Say it. Say it. Think about it. Put it on your mouth. Meditate on it. And all of a sudden you'll go, he's going to show me things to come. And what has just happened? Faith is right there. It's not just like you trying to psych yourself up. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. No, you'll know. When faith comes, you'll go, oh, he's going to lead me into all things. He's going to show me things to come. Oh, man. You get excited about it. So it is very simple. It's grace and faith. That's the whole conversation that you have now with God. Grace talks. You believe it. Cool? Okay. Now, in the Bible, we see over and over, we are told to do a few things with grace. And I want to show you a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 13, verse 43. This is Paul, and he's in the synagogues, and he's teaching to all the, the spiritual leaders, the, I mean, the Jewish leaders at that time. And they actually, they heard that Paul was there, and he said, hey, do you want to, after the service was all done, like Paul, and I can't remember who was with him, they said, hey, do you want to, we heard Paul's here, do you want to come and preach after the service is over? So Paul came up, and he spoke a little bit, and he just shared about the goodness of God, and he started to preach about Jesus, grace. He started talking about the grace of God. He got excited about it. Right, all after this is all done, I mean, people got excited about it and other people hated it. Right, everywhere Paul went, he had either, a, you know, people partying or people rebelling against him. Right, and so these guys got excited about it. So we see this here in chapter 13, verse 43. It says, many of Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas and the two men urged them, talking to all these believers now, to do what? To continue to rely on what? The grace of God. So this morning, what is your and my command? What are we to rely on? The grace of God. Liv, I were to ask you just any time throughout the week, what are you relying on right now? Oh, I'm, you know, I just, I'm relying on my work. That paycheck better come through. Do you see how carnal we've gotten? I know when I say carnal, that just simply means five physical senses driven. Well, I'm looking for this. Well, if I, if I just get eight hours of sleep, everything's going to be fine. I haven't had eight hours of sleep in a while. <laughs> you know if I just had a good meal if my wife would stop making tacos everything would be fine there's some truth to that right it does it does carry out in the natural but do you see how we kind of gone a little carnal on those things he's saying rely on the grace of God so when I'm eating tacos I'm relying on the grace of God to turn it into something I like <laughs> I'm just kidding you can't actually do that I don't 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 get me wrong. I'm just, I eat it joyfully and thankfully because that's what I'm commanded to do. All right. <laughs> I'm doing this because the word said I had to. This is delicious, honey. It's delicious. Anyways, I don't know why I love you. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Now you say sorry now because everybody's here. She says, you're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Like you just said that to Jason Max. Why are you saying it to me? <laughs> we have a really good marriage. <laughs> But you can see Paul's words are to what? To continue. Everybody say continue. On what? To rely on the grace of God. So just because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, does not mean that the grace of God just saved you for that and that's it. We are supposed to every single day rely on grace. Rely on what? I'm relying on grace to speak to me. 
How am I going to be a husband? How am I going to be a dad? How am I going to be a pastor? How am I going to be a leader? How am I going to do all these things in the, in, in the community? How can we do all those things? I rely on the grace of God. Meaning I'm t- continually thinking about it. I'm focusing. Lord, you're going to have to show me this. I need grace. What do, what do you want me to do? Grace isn't just a topic. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus. So when you say, Grace, what do you want me to do? You're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And man, the Bible even says over and over, man, he's the spirit of grace. He lives on the inside of you. So we are commanded to continue in the grace of God. The next one I want to show you is this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. It says, you also, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for, from us, I want you to excel in this grace. We are commanded to excel in grace. Can you see this? What does that mean? Man, I'm going to go forward with this. Uh, my life depends on grace speaking to me right now or showing me something right now. I'm relying on this grace. Next one I want to show you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul's talking to Timothy, a young pastor. And he says this, Timothy, my dear son, live your life, what? Empowered by God's free flowing grace. grace. How does he live his life? Empowered by God's grace, grace. which is your true strength found in the anointing of Jesus. And where else is this grace found? In your union with Him. So I see right here, I can't be strong in grace if I'm not in union with Him. You wonder, like, well, how, where's my strength? How come I'm so weak? What's your union like with Him? Are you talking? Are you communing with Him? Is there a regular relationship? Just the same way that my wife and I, we talk on a regular basis. That keeps our marriage strong. That keeps our relationship strong. I need to have communication with her. Just like you do with any good relationship. Well, he's saying the same here. If you want to see be strong in grace, what do you need? You need a union with Jesus. When you can see people fall into problems, they have issues. All of a sudden, something just blows up and this happens. It didn't just happen at that moment. There had been times, day before, where the Lord is saying, hey, come into union with me. You're going to need grace for something. Come on, come on in, come on in. And what happens sometimes we neglect that, go, oh, i got to figure this whole thing out. And we run to do our own thing only to find out weeks later we got this huge chaos and wondering, God, where are you? He's calling you for union. A lot of times we're just saying, God, fix this problem. He's saying, no, come into union with me. Can you see this? I don't know how many Christian world just, God, I need you to fix this problem. He's saying, I need you in a relationship with me. So you don't run into these problems on a regular basis. It's all about the union. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay, next, 2 Peter chapter 3, 18. Peter, just before he dies, says this, and he's encouraging the church or the Jewish believers at this time. He says to do what? Continue to grow and in what? He didn't say faith. He didn't say in, in healing. He didn't say in the authority that you have. What did he say? To grow and increase in God's grace. Because when you focus on the grace of God, all of this is included in His grace. Can you see this? So we have to focus on grace. This is who we are. We are people of grace, and our response is faith. Right? So continue to grow and increase in God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, you see that intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May He receive all glory both now and forever. Amen. So we talked last week, what is grace? Grace defined, anybody remember this? Cool, okay. Grace defined. Undeserved, unearned favor of God. 
Now, this is what I asked you to write down. So for those of you that wrote it down, can't find that note. Here it is again. Grace is the essence of who he is and is the basis for how he acts on our behalf. Some of you are not writing this down. You need to see this. Because if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you need to know what grace does. And don't go say, oh, I just I need some help in this area. What is grace showing you? Write it in your phone. Write it on your arm if you don't got paper. I, I'm serious. you got to get this down. Because I'm tired of people coming over here. I'm struggling in this area. What is grace revealing to you? And we're talking about it right here. I got problems and I got issues. And my kid's doing this. And my family's doing this. My brother's doing this. This is the answer. Grace is your answer. He's willing to help you. He's willing to reach out for you. But what are you? Are you listening to it? This is where it all comes back. So again, grace is God's essence of who he is and is the basis for how he acts on our behalf. The second part of grace now is his grace is also the empowering force behind who we become and all we are enabled to do for him. So anything that I'm going to do for God on this earth, guess who empowers me? Is it just me having a great idea and I'm going to go run with it? No, I have to have the grace to do it. If he doesn't show me, if he doesn't tell me, guess what? I am not doing it. Can you see that? And especially in the church world. Man, you can go to church building conferences and they say, oh, you should be tried doing this. And you got to have this and you got to do that. I ain't taking my suggestions from anybody. Do this. This is what you'll grow your church. Do this. I ain't doing that. What do we do? We are called here by God to do what he says. If he doesn't say it, we ain't doing it. Why? Because there's no grace attached. And if there's no grace, what am I doing? I am on my own. And that's where burnout is. That's where frustration is. That's where strife is. That's where poverty is. That's where sickness is. Come on, somebody. This is where it all is. And you're wondering, what's going on? How come I got no peace in my family? Go back to the last thing grace told you and do it. Because anytime you get off on this, what happens is now you've meddled yourself in and you're wide open for the enemy to attack. Why? Because it's disobedience. Is this making sense? I'm saying this because I believe the Lord has taken us some places and it's not going to be based on what somebody tells us we need to do. We need to hear from the Lord. You regarding your finances, regarding what you do in your home. What is grace saying to you? Because what he's saying, he also equips you to do it. And that's what we're looking for. So now we talked last week, grace is expressed in five different ways. Can anybody remember those? They're five S's. <laughs> yeah, we got it. All right. Saving grace. So let me just read that out to you real quick. It's God's. Now notice this. Nowhere you're going to find it's my power and my ability to make something happen. Grace is completely God's power and his ability working in my behalf. So saving grace is God's power and his ability to justify us to forgive us of our sins and make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Woo! Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> grace did that. Grace did all of that. Number two. What's the second one? Saving grace and then? Sanctifying. Is it just on the screen? Is that what you're seeing? Okay. You're cheating a little bit. Okay. Sanctifying grace. All right. Yeah. Sanctifying grace. What is sanctifying grace? It is, again, God's power and ability come on say it with me god's power and ability to purify us and enable us to live holy lives in a corrupt world 
So it's not about you saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Only three days later to do the same thing again. <laughs> what is it? It is God's power and ability to enable us to live a holy life. So who's going to help you to live free from all the junk that's out there? Grace. So how can I see that? Is I got to spend time with grace, sanctifying grace. And we're going to get into this as, as the Lord leads us. But man, you can go into scriptures on this. You can study these things out. But the same grace that saved you, another face for grace is he also wants to sanctify you. So just see it that way. God's got, God's got five different types of graces that he wants to bless you with. Number one, that's just how he saves you. Right? It's called saving grace. Oh, somebody's dealing with a, you know, kind of an unpure, unholy life. Bam! Sanctifying grace. It's available for you and I'll enable you to live a holy life. What's the third one? Strengthening grace. Again, what is strengthening grace? Same four words. God's power and God's ability to in, in, energize and inspire us to live victoriously, to reign over the challenges and circumstances of life. How do I live victorious in life? Is it by my own merit? Is it by me praying through? Is it by me knowing enough scriptures and quoting them all over the place? What is it? It's grace. His grace causes you to live victoriously. So we got saving grace, sanctifying grace, strengthening grace. Next is sharing grace. What's sharing grace? God's power and ability to meet our needs and to take joy in giving to others. He teaches you. So if anytime you hear an offering message, you go, oh, offering again, dear God. You know what that is? That just shows that you haven't heard the sharing grace of Jesus yet. That's all that it is. So rather than get offended by it, all that money, 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 that's an easy thing to get offended. But what's the change for that is understanding and partaking in sharing grace. Because when I see how much God gave me, my response is I give back. That's all that it is. Grace is simply I see what he does, now I do it. That's all that it is. Lastly, what's number five? Serving grace. Serving grace is, again, God's Power, God's ability to serve him and others with divinely imparted gifts. So what I'm doing right now is not in my own strength. This is the grace of God in me to preach the gospel so people get it. It's not me. Anytime you've heard anything good that blessed you, guess what? It was grace talking to you. Anytime there's something annoying or was not good, guess what? That's me. hey -oh, it's me. So what do we want? We need to rely on... Are you feeling the emphasis in that? What do we need to rely on? Grace. Grace is everything for I. So, this is what I want to finish off with this, this morning. Is who gets grace? Who gets it? So we can see this grace of God is magnificent. It is expressed in many different ways and it's available to bless us in numerous different facets. But who gets grace? Now, is God's grace available for everyone? Yes. Even those that don't know Jesus right now, what is grace doing? It's reaching out. It's reaching out. What is it saying? What is grace saying to those that don't know Jesus? I love you. I gave my life for you. Come be part of my family. It's not just a, hey, it'd be good if you did it. It's a plea. Come on. And you even see that in Proverbs. Wisdom, it stands in the street and it yells, hey, stupid, how long you want to be stupid? It, right? Message Bible. Read it. It's amazing. 
Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs chapter 1, I believe it is. It actually says, hey, stupid, how long you want to be stupid? Wisdom is out there just yelling to everybody possible. Come on in. Stop being stupid. You don't have to be stupid anymore. Anybody interested in that? Four people are. Okay, the rest. I will... <laughs> Man, I don't know about you. So that when he calls you, that saving grace is calling you. You responded to grace calling you. You think it was just some great message that you just heard. No, that's great that the vessel was used. But what is it in the backgrounds? Listen, you, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is a ministry of helps person. You don't ever see him. You don't ever put, oh yeah, the, whole, the Holy Spirit all did this. He works in the backgrounds and he pulls on people constantly. Even right now, what I'm saying, if you're feeling drawn in, guess what? He's pulling on your heart. That's not me. It's the Spirit of God in me. This is, and he's on the inside of you. This is what he does. So when you're sitting there and you heard the message of God's grace and of his kindness and goodness, what happened? The Holy Spirit is drawing you in. And at that moment, you responded to grace. That's all that it was. And that's how it works for every single area of our lives is we got to hear what grace says. And this book that you have in your lap is a book full of grace words. It's what it is. It gives life. It gives strength to you. Right? Okay. So who gets grace? If it's available for everyone, how come not everyone is experiencing grace? Is that a good question to ask? So I've got a few verses for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And some of them I don't have on the screen because I changed my message from last night to this morning. <clears throat> so Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. <coughs> it says this. If you walk with the mockers, you will learn to mock. Right? You'll learn to mock. But it goes on to say, but God's grace and favor flow to the meek. James chapter 4 and verse 6. I'll have this one on the screen for you. <clears throat> I think it's in the New Living Translation. It says, and he gives. What does he give? Stingily. Is that even a word? Sting, stingily. Uh, I don't know. Stingily. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Stingy. We'll just leave it stingy. It's just trying to sound very profound, but no, it didn't come out that way. <laughs> he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. Now notice, this, this is where James got this. James got this quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. He got it from Solomon. So Solomon wrote, it's got to be good. <laughs> what does it say? God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. So who gets grace? The humble. Who doesn't get grace? The proud. One more verse I want to show you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. It says this in the, in the Passion Bible. It says, In the same way you younger ones should willingly support the leadership of the elders. And then he says, In every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourselves the apron of a humble servant. Can I just read this to you again one more time? It says, in every relationship, look at the person next to you, because I'm assuming you're in relationship with them. Take a look. And if you're not, well, you're going to be right after the service is over. <laughs> in every relationship. Can you guys put the passion? If you got the passion Bible, that'd be awesome. In every relationship, every, say every relationship. Does that mean parent-child? Well, I'm the boss of my kids. No, you're not. You're the steward of them. This has been real helpful for me. Jamie, I've been learning a lot from my wife on these, a lot of these things. Can I just give you a little tidbit that she helped me with this past week? 
I had in my heart, my, I mean, this is the way that I always kind of thought parenting is, and I've heard it many times, you know, about this in lots of seminars. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he departs, he will not depart from it. Anybody heard that scripture before? Okay. I heard that, and I always thought my goal in life, my focus with my children, is to make sure that they know the word of God, so that when they're older, they won't screw it up. Basically, in the Joel translation, that's how I heard it. So I've had this conversation with my wife, and I'm, this is how I'm thinking. I've got to train them up. Train them up. Boy, we're going to train you guys up. And there's some truth to that. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But the main focus is, this is what Jamie's been helping me see a little bit. The main focus isn't that. The main focus is a heart-to-heart -heart connection with my child. Because when I have that heart-to-heart -heart connection, now they're going to see me. Now they're going to hear me. And I'll train them up in the ways of the Lord that they should go, and they won't depart from it. So rather than demanding something on them, expecting them to be this way, I have a heart-to-heart -heart connection, and when they're older, they want to be just like their daddy. Can, can you see that? Because like, think about this. How is your relationship with God? Does he come at you? You better listen to me, boy, or I'll... Anybody ever heard that from God before? Psalm 32 says that the Lord says he wants to lead you with his eye. Has God ever forced you to do anything? No, see, so how does he want to lead you? Do you hear any beatings in that? You do something stupid even. Maybe not. But I'm just thinking, even thinking with my own, my own walk with the Lord, I have beaten myself up because I thought God operated like that to me. So if I beat me up, then he'd be pleased with me beating me up. And was he? No. What does he want? He wants a heart-to-heart -heart connection. Because why do you want to obey God now? Because I love them. Why do you come to church now? Is it because you have to? And if you don't, God's going to hurt you. No. Why do you come to church now? Come on, someone answer this question. Why do you come to church? Because I love them. Why do I give? Why do I give my tithe to him? Because I love them. And it belongs to him. But I love them. That's my motivation. My motivation has to be love driven and everything. Why do I preach the gospel? Is it because I like using my gift? No, it's because I love him and I love what he loves and I love people. The motivation has got to be there. So I, again, that's, I have no idea where I got off on that, but that's, there you, there you go. That's a little timbit from my wife through me, all right? So here we go. In the same way, you younger ones should willing support. Okay, in every relationship, that's where we were. In every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant. Why? Because God resists who? You. When you're proud, but look at this, but he gives or constantly gives grace, but multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. So who gets grace? The humble. So as a Christian now, here are one or two options where you may be. Right now you may be receiving and experiencing grace from God or God may be resisting you. Can you see this? There's one of two options. You can't have a third option. You're either receiving grace or you're being resisted. And who makes that decision? I do. Right? Because again, I'm going to just give you the definition of the word resist or the word oppose. In the New Living, it says uses the word oppose, but the word oppose simply means to actively resist or refuse. So if it says God resists the proud, let's add this in here. God actively resists 
and he refuses the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. <laughs> Pride causes God to actively resist and refuse you. Wow. I hope this is hitting you as much as it hit me this past week. I'm thinking of this. If pride is resisting God from working on my, on my behalf, if, if, my, if pride is in me, it's causing God to actually not able to get his undeserved and unnerved favor towards me. Can you see that I may be holding something back because of an attitude that I have? Can you see this? So it may kind of think, oh God, why are you holding? God is not holding anything back from anyone. And Moses said this in Numbers, his God's arm, his, his arm's gotten short and his pocket's gotten deeper. Is God like this? He's got long arms and deep pockets for every single one of us. But what happens is when we are operating in pride, now it's not that he just kind of shrink goes up and goes, I don't want to give it to you. No, he actually stands and goes, I have to resist that. I don't want any part of this. Why he hates pride. You can read that in Proverbs. And six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. And pride is in there two times. It makes a big deal. So let me just define this real quickly to you. What is pride? Pride is being high-minded. Pride is having a lofty estimation of yourself and your ability. Pride is being arrogant, inflated, and puffed up with you and your achievements. Pride involves living in lie. Pride, pride basically is just, it's false. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Your deep pride has blinded you to the truth. So pride is simply not living in reality. That's all that it is. It's not reality. Anybody ever heard the word, I got this? Oh, I can do this. I can take care of my family. Anybody ever say that or heard that before? I had to get corrected on that. Because am I the provider? Not according to Jesus. What does Jesus say? I'll provide all your needs. So what does that make me? Not the provider. <laughs> Just to keep it real simple, that's not who I am. Right? Okay, Lord, got it. Okay, so what is humility? Humility, man, on the other side, it's to bow low and to make yourself low. Nobody does this to you. Nobody comes up to you and says, Scott, I'm going to humble you. God doesn't even go, Scott, I'm going to humble you. He doesn't. Because if he would, he'd actually be going against his own word. <laughs> so what does he do? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, who are the humble? It's an attitude that you possess, an attitude that you take on for your own self. Okay? <clears throat> Anyone who ever received from Jesus, they found themselves in the position of humility. And for, the, for just for time's sake, I want you to just go to Mark chapter 5. I'll just give you two examples. But this is where people who ever received help from Jesus, they found themselves at the feet of Jesus every single time. As long as you think that you got this, Listen, in a Western culture, man, we, we got a lot of things. I'm the man. I'm the woman. I, I can do this. We are so caught up in trying to showcase our achievements to the world that we've actually lost humility. And at the expense, what's happening now that we lost it, what is, that, what is God now doing? He has to actually oppose and refuse us. So I don't know about you, but I do not want to live where the culture is living in pride. That's kind of the style that it looks like. I am not going to be that way. Anybody else want to join me on this? So what am I going to do? I'm going to bow myself down to elevate him. Because when I do that, guess what? I get grace. Because he gives what? Grace to the humble. And if I don't have grace, what are you left with? Yourself. You are left on your own. So in Mark chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 21 here for a moment. 
Anybody, I'm going to just preface this again. Anybody who received from Jesus found themselves at his feet. Verse 21, it says, Jesus got back into the boat and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue. So who is this guy? He's a rabbi. He's a Jewish leader. He's very high up in there. And did the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, did they like Jesus? No, not, not just no. They hated the man. Why? Because they were jealous of the, the results he's getting. So now this local synagogue leader, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, what did he do? He fell at his feet. Who forced him to do that? Nobody. It was him. He forced himself to go low. Jesus, he went. I'll continue on. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. This next verse, I love the next three words. Jesus went with him. In other words, grace went with him. Can you see this? God gives grace to the humble. Does he turn anybody away? Oh, I don't got time for you. No, anybody who shows humility in any kind of way, grace went with him. Oh, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. I need Jesus went with him everywhere he goes. Amen? Okay. And all the people followed him, crowding around him. Then he goes on. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Click. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. <clears throat> immediately. Everybody say immediately. What worked immediately? Grace went out immediately. Power went out immediately. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Can you see this? Jesus is not in charge of his ministry. Can you see this? He's got no control. Who's controlling it? People that are dropping down. Lord, I'm coming at your feet. Lord, I'm coming in faith. If you do this, I know that she'll be well. You can only operate in faith when you're operating in humility. It's the only way. Who touched my robe? Next verse says, <clears throat> When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. Whoa, let's go back here, guys. Mark chapter 5, where are we at? 31, thank you. His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you, and how can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees. She fell to her knees in front of him and told him all that she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace from your suffering. Go in peace. Where is this position? And I mean, I'm not going to continue on the story, but J. Iris, did he get what he was looking for? Yeah, he walked in. The girl is there lying dead. Jesus says, she's just asleep. Everybody laughs. Ha, ha, ha. Jesus said, I don't want you around here. Get out. So, like, imagine a big group of people. And not just like, you know, I'm talking Jewish people who are very expressive. Rent their clothes and sobbing. Blah, and it, it's, it's expressive. 
These people are all of a sudden laughing at him. He gets rid of everybody in that room and says, out. Get out. Well, I don't want any more. I don't need any of your unbelief. So you get them all out. Raises, holds the little girl's hand and says, Tuluthi come, which means rise up, get up. She rises up from the dead and there she is. She says, you want some breakfast? Yeah, I want some breakfast. They eat. This is humility in action. Do you see it? Who does God help? The humble. 